Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have a super special guest. Coach Ron from NC Fit Pleasanton is going to climb Mount Everest. That's right. He just left. We just had a going away event for him, and he's going to climb Mount Everest, and he has goals and aspirations of becoming the first Honduran to complete this task. He talks about his training protocols in the past, how he got into mountaineering, overcoming adversity, and he really shines light on what life is like based on his interpretation at Everest and what it is at base camp and then finally going in two, three, four. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you do as well. Before we dive into it, I wanted to talk about something that's new to the podcast and it's just talking about things that we naturally get involved with ourselves. So if you listen to the Gabe and MVV episodes, I've been talking about getting my blood work done. I've also been talking about cold exposure and I just am getting into more hot and a sauna. And as we start talking about these different things, it's natural for me to want to bring in partners that I feel like did a really good job. And Merrick Health is one of those partners. I got connected to them and they did a really good job for my blood work. I got connected to a patient care coordinator. His name was Brandon. He was awesome. I got on the phone with him. He set me up for my blood work and it was a super comprehensive panel, as comprehensive as I've ever seen before. And what I liked about Merrick Health, and this is why I'm sharing it, is that there wasn't any middleman. So I connected with the coordinator. I went and got my blood work done. I reviewed my blood work with the coordinator and then I could be uh, transitioned to a doctor if I wanted to go ahead and where I needed any type of medication. And so from start to finish, Merrick Health was able to take me through that process. I was just recommended to take, you know, some supplementation over the counter, nothing crazy, but if you needed more, they have the ability to do so, which I think is awesome. So we're going to be working with Merrick Health, um, hopefully for the foreseeable future because I love what they're doing and I want to be involved with them more often. So if you want to go check out Merrick Health, go ahead and check out the link in this podcast. Go to MerrickHealth.com slash EOE. You could also get 10% off the same exact blood panel that I got, the same one my wife is getting, same one MDV get. You get 10% off by using a lowercase EOE on their website. Now, without any further ado, Let's dive into a great episode with Coach Ron and hear more about Metaverse. Let's go. All right. So, Ron, you are getting ready to go climb Mount Everest. Now, I think a lot of people, they've maybe seen videos, they've maybe uh, heard about it, but they have no idea what it takes from a training perspective and a mindset perspective to go climb arguably, I mean, this is without a doubt, the, the large, the, the most challenging peak in the world. Is that correct? Uh, indeed. Indeed. Um, first off, I want to start by, uh, thanking you for the invitation. Oh right? yeah, man. I, I'm so um, excited for this, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, uh, I'm excited to talk about my, um, life's dream, yeah. you know? And so, um, so yeah, just to kind of jump right into it, right? Um, this coming spring, uh, I'm actually set already to um, head on uh, and into Nepal, April 5th, right? Um, the idea is to arrive into Kathmandu, maybe spend a day or two uh, doing a little bit of briefing, um, gear cross check and all that stuff, right? From there on, we're going to take a domestic fly from Kathmandu into Lukla, which is considered the Tenzin Norgay Airport. Yeah. And it's kind of like the gateway into the Himalayas, right? And so um, from there on, we begin our trek uh, nice and slow, right, um, through the different villages that we'll be going across, right? This, uh, this particular area of, of the Himalayas, right, is very symbolic because there's this all ancient uh, voodoo temples that we'll be seeing. And so um, there's going to be that, you know, uh, majestic spiritual side to it. That and how long is that process? It. Like when you yeah. actually land, I mean, we're going to go back if how you got yeah. here, but, but like when you actually land in Nepal yeah. to when you actually go to summit Everest, how long of a process is that? Yeah, so just to give you a synopsis, right? Um, the track that we'll be doing, starting from Lukla into uh, base camp, we're probably looking about 10 to 12 days. And the reason they do it in such a way, right, is just to kind of use it as a gradual acclimatization process. 
And so um, we es I estimate that we're probably climbing about a thousand feet or something and arriving to the next village, maybe spend the night there, enjoy some tea and stay at some of these tea houses. Next day, you kind of repeat the process going to the next village, right? Um, once you get to base camp, we're probably going to rest it up for a few days. Uh, during those few days, we're also going to be st starting to do some training. Uh, in particular, the stuff that we'll be looking at would be more um, ladder crossing. Ladder uh, crossing. Ladder crossing. So correct. at this point, yeah. when you get to base camp, and I think we've seen, you know, some people have maybe seen this on TV or whatnot. Base camp is at the, the basically the, the bottom of Everest, and you could stay there for... Is, it, is there different base camps? Is that the way it works? Uh, no, this is kind of like the main general base camp, right? So from there on, you're looking at either Camp 1, Camp 2, uh, Camp 3, and Camp 4, which is the highest camp that we're going to uh, stage. So at, at base point. camp, is there any, like... Um amenities for lack of a better term or is it you're just camping you're out in the wild i mean do you have to bring everything with you i mean what is i mean there yeah. is just so much to unpack here <laughs> because yeah. everything that you have you have on yourself for i mean you, you you backpack it the whole way right that is correct so um at least right going into base camp right uh Let's talk about a, a, a little bit about life at base camp. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you said the right word, right? In terms of amenities, you know, we this is a place that is it almost become at least during climbing season, it almost become like a like a big city, right? Ah. Where you run into a lot of uh, expeditions that are set for Everest, right? And people from all over the world. And at this particular location, right, you you will still have the normal amenities. There might be a portal party for you to, you know, take care of your bodily needs and so forth. Um, some expeditions, right, would provide internet, right, just to get a little Wi-Fi connection and so forth. So life there is just, you know, pretty chill. You rest. You kind of just start preparing. You kind of use it as an area to start the acclimatization process, right? Um Already, right, at base camp, you'll be at 17,500 feet. So 17,000? 17,500 feet. And, and taking a pivot to the conversation, what is the highest? Because you've already, you've been climbing for years and years and years. What's the highest you've already climbed? Uh, to be honest, uh, it, it would be Mount Aconcagua, which is the highest peak you can imagine in Los Andes in South America. Uh, this peak is already six uh, six thousand six hundred night uh, sixty two meters. Oh. Yeah, so it's nearly twenty three thousand. Okay, feet. so the base yeah. camp is still below it's what you've already yeah, done before, ba based on what I've done below. Yeah. Yes. So then, after you're you're acclimated at the base camp, you go to Camp One, Camp Two. It. How long is the climbing season for Mount Everest? Yeah. So for this particular expedition, we're looking at a sixty day duration. Right. And the reason why it takes so long, right, is because you want to make sure that you you do the trek into base camp as slow and chill as possible. Right. Just to kind of start gauging how your body is, is adapting to high altitude. Right. Um, once you get to base camp and you have those few days of rest to settle down, you do some training, uh, ladder crossing, jumarin of fixed lines and stuff and stuff like that. Right. Um, setting out the gear that is set to go with you for high camps, right? Um, after that, you begin what is called uh, rotations, right? And the way to, uh, just to better describe what how these rotations are done, are you're looking at maybe going from base camp to camp one, mm. in one single shot, right? right? And that's the first chance that you get to cross the mighty, um, Kumbu Icefall, which is this massive glacier that is constantly moving, right? Uh, from there on, you're looking to come back to base camp, maybe rest for a day or two. Depending on the weather and how the weather is looking, the next rotation will be going from base camp to, to camp two, right? Oh. Uh, third rotation will be base camp to camp three, right? From there, you're probably going to come back to uh, base camp and just rest for a few days, uh, by then, we're probably looking at mid-May, right? And that's when the expedition will start uh, staging itself to go to the highest camp, position themselves for a good weather opportunity so that you can go for a summit attempt. Wow. So you're at base camp. You go up one, go up yeah. two, et cetera. Yeah. And, but you don't stay there. You just go yeah. up there, and yeah. it's almost like a day trip. It's like, like a, a day trip. 
Yeah, and at least when you begin, when you do the rotations. And then when you're at this uh, this final base camp, you then stay there overnight and you're waiting for the weather to be appropriate? That is correct. Now, yeah. what is the altitude at that camp, camp three or camp four? Yeah. So once you, let me just uh, take camp four, which is the highest camp that you would stage at briefly, right? Yeah. Um, we're looking at 26,000 feet. There is what is considered the dead zone, right? The dead and zone. Yeah. And the reason why they call it the dead zone is because there, you would just be capitalized on maybe 30% of the molecules from the oxygen that you'll be breathing, right? So we'll be, I'd, by then, we'll be highly dependent on artificial oxygen. So at base camp, so once you get to camp uh, four, will that be at the highest peak or some that you've been at in your life? Uh, if you wanted to use uh, this particular expedition as a reference, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so then you're you, at that point, though, how long can you stay there on external oxygen? Yeah. So uh, we're the, the way this expedition is going to set, right, we're going to try to have sufficient uh, literature of artificial oxygen with us as specifically at that camp because that's where we're going to be dependent on. Um this could go for maybe a day or two days, right? And if the weather allows for you to just go the same night, right, you make the summit push the same night and you try to descend as fast as possible. And now from base camp, from four to summit and back, how long does that journey take? Yeah, we're probably looking, uh, taking the average of how most uh, summiteers do it, yeah. right? You're looking at easily an eight to 12 hour day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. I, I know I pushed right into Everest. I'm just so fascinated <laughs> by it because I imagine the answer to your question, if I wanted to go with you yeah. on this expedition, right? Yeah. I'm pretty physically fit. I stay active. You would probably tell me that, that is the worst idea ever. I imagine it'd be like me trying to go in the ocean and go, you know, surf a 50-foot wave. It's just asking to get it's, – it's asking to, to risk my life. It you have been working your whole life to get to this expedition. And I want to talk about how do you even get to the point where you think climbing Everest is a good idea and how do you earn that confidence to get there? I mean, let's go way back because uh, let me ask you this. It is not recommended for someone without any mountaineering climbing experience to go try Everest. Is that correct? Yeah, indeed, indeed, <laughs> it's, indeed. It's yeah. pretty obvious, it right? It would be maniacal. <laughs> It'd be maniacal. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you get to the point where, you know, it, it's so funny because, you know, you've you've been a coach here at NC Fit, and which is uh, it's so awesome. You, you, you really live this – at NC Fit, what I love is to provide a program in the gym that helps people live freely and fully outside the gym. And I can't think of a better expression than someone who could go out there and go use their fitness in such a, you know, different type of way. So how did you get to the point where – you're now ready to go climb Mount Everest. Let's go way back. How'd you get into this in the first place? Well, good question, right? Because um, I guess I get to kind of jump in a little more about how I started. A hundred percent. I want to know all about it. Yeah. Right. So um, uh, it, it, it begins a few years back, right? When I, out of um, a weird situation, right? I... <laughs> it, 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 I guess I have to say it in, the same, in this way, right? Where I kind of started with the highest outside of the Himalayas, right? Because the peak that I mentioned before, right? Aconcagua, highest of Los Andes, which is literally 38 meters short from being a 7,000 meter peak, right? So it's, it's pretty high. I got a taste of what real out, a thin air life is like, right? And so um, from that moment, right? This, was, uh, this happened uh, in uh, 2017, by the way. And so um, at that time, I was uh, you know, hitting the CrossFit workouts. I was just, I felt like I was incredibly fit. Um, I was an amazing uh, ultra runner that I was just, you know, killing it, right? And I felt like I had lungs for life. And so um, after I went through that suffering, it was just like a total hook for me to say, you know what? This is a real testament of fitness, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And I, I, I love it, right? And it's just like you you fight those elements of the mountains, right? The mountains are just grueling. They're not going to have mercy on you, right? You battle in the cold. You battle in the, the altitude, which uh, just to describe what al breathing at high altitude feels like, think about breathing through a straw. 
Yeah. That's People thought it, that breathing with a mask on was bad. Oh, no, <laughs> absolutely not. That's, that's easy training. It's been yeah. an easy training for me, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I'm hoping that the <laughs> during these two years that we've been so accustomed to wearing a mask, right, because of the whole COVID pandemic, uh, <laughs> maybe that helps me <laughs> breathe better. Maybe that helps you breathe better. <laughs> yeah. So um, going back to that, right, so that was like the, the moment where I say, you know what, I think I'm made for this, right? I, I enjoy the suck of this, right? And it allows me to go back to the gym, keep doing my fitness and, and, and sharing my fitness journeys with other people, right? Because this is what we do here at NC Fit Pleasanton, right? Um, we walk people every day through their fitness journeys, right? And so um, I, for me, ev- from there on, it's like, you know what? Let me see what else, what would be the next one, right? So sooner or, la- sooner or later, right, I decided to go into Africa to climb the highest peak in, um, in Africa, then the next year, I flew into Europe in Russia, to be honest, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to climb the yeah. highest uh, peak in, in the European continent. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, then it was like I had this momentum, right? Every year, my goal was to be able to do an expedition, and everything was just going perfectly fine. 2019, I come back, and I prepare for Denali, right? Denali is another game, right? Highest in North America is known for being a super cold mountain. It is pretty tall, right? And one thing that I can describe about the Nali, right, in the sense of being so challenging, is that it has this component of self-reliant, right? You you pull in a sled. You're right? pulling a sled. You're pulling a sled while you're carrying an expedition pack. And this was your yeah. so. There's like seven peaks, is that right? That is correct. So, yeah, w- I, yeah I guess we're referring to the seven summits of the world. And correct. how many have you done? I've done four of those. And so out of the four that you've done so far, which one was the most challenging? I have to take, I had to give it up to Denali. It's and Denali. Yeah. Denali so tested everything out of me. You're yeah. pulling a sled. And how yeah. long of a trek is that? How, how long does that take you? Yeah, so when we planned for Denali, right, we set ourselves to do an expedition for 21 days. Uh, we actually summit on the four, on the 16 days. So for me, it kind of went relatively faster than I had anticipated. Mm. Yeah, but uh, just to take you back to some training, right, that would better describe from Denali. Um, on Denali, there was there was there was one time that that I I, I can never forget this moment, right? It's, uh, we were going up this particular hill. It's called Motorcycle Hill. We are Motorcycle ready. Hill. Motorcycle Hill. Okay. And it's, 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 it's a 45 degree angle. Yeah. Ice. And so, um, and you're using yeah. ice picks and you're, I yeah. mean, so we're wearing, you know, the mountaineering boots with crampons attached to them so that we can really scaff and be able to bite into the ice. Right. Yeah. Uh, we're using an ice axe. We have an expedition pack. And I remember that time I was carrying about 68 pounds on my expedition pack while still pulling 36 pounds on my sled up at this hill. Uh, there was a point where I was like, you know what? I think my back is about to wreck. Like, yeah. I feel like my back is about to break. And you battle on this hill, right? And it's already near th- uh, 12,000 feet. Yes, it's you're breathing cold. hard. It's yeah. cold. It's, it's cold. miserable. It's already yeah. day 10 or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, you, you're already like maybe day 9 or 10 of yeah. the expedition, right? You, you, you're already asleep deprived, right? You're not getting the most uh, recovery, right? And so, um, and, and so I, I just I can never forget that moment, right? Because it was the, the, the true test. It was like, you know what? I train myself doing uh, uh, treks with this backpack at 50 pounds, doing even rock climbs with it, right? And I said, here I am pulling 68 plus 36 pounds on my sled. I was not prepared for this. Right. So um, that was the moment, right, that really it tested everything out of me uh, from, a, from, a, from a physical perspective, right? Now, you're doing this in a group? Yeah, for that one, we joined an actual expedition. And you yes. know these people or you get to know them? Uh, you kind of get to meet them on the spot, right, which makes it a very suitable experience, right, to have that yeah, So how Talk me through exchange. that because, you know, shared suffering is such a big part of team sports in high school. Uh, 
and and here at the gym as well do you guys then find yourself bonding through this experience do you stay friends or is it kind of like you come you support each other and then afterwards you don't really connect very much right this uh it's uh it's such an amazing experience right because you meet in these people from all different walks of life and you become so amazed to hear these stories that you automatically connect right um the mountains here's the thing about uh, uh mountaineer right it's just there is no egos right egos are left at the door right the mountain has no mercy on you so this is the place where you really meet people are their truest mm. and so um you it's just you really connect with them right you really connect with them and f- as you get through the, ex- the the expedition right you always you know stay friends and you kind of stay updated of what they're planning to do for their next climb and and so you know you said that you started climbing in 2017 and prior to your ultra running doing crossfit when did you come to the united states I moved into the United States back in 1988. I was 16 years old at 16. the time. 16. Yeah, 16. And, and I think, remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you came to the United States, did you come alone? I, well, I moved um, to me- reconnect with my mother. Correct. You moved to reconnect with your yes. mother. That's right. Yeah. When you were 16. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. And, and now, okay, got it. And so then over the years now, you're now mountaineer is this going to be like the thing that you do for the rest of your life is that what you're committing you want to hit all seven peaks what are the goals for for mountaineering yeah so good question right because my uh, stretch goal right now is set to climb these seven highest summits of the world um whatever is coming up right i this could anticipate to be my fifth and prior to, during, prior to this expedition that is already planned for, I, I was actually scheduled to head out for my fifth, which is uh, this another peak that constitutes the highest point in Oceania. Um, it's in the middle of Pop- uh, Papua New Guinea, right? Yeah. And because of COVID, right, because of the COVID, it, it got canceled. So it's, it's still pending at this point. So now why Everest now versus hitting the other – Everest is not the tallest peak, right? Yeah, I guess in the sense of uh, the seven summits, it is. But if you think about the highest, absolute highest mountains in the world, then there's more. There's yeah. more. Yeah. But why is it held? Why is Everest held as like, so I guess my question is twofold. Why Everest now before the other peaks before it? And then why is Everest held on like this pedestal as like the Holy Grail? Yeah, well, good question, right? Because I'm mean, in terms of answer the question why Everest now. It's um, I guess it would say it's just coincidental mm. that I during these two years that we've been technically paralyzed because of COVID, right? Uh, I have had not had momentum, right? At least in the climbing scene. And however, I've been making uh, d- deep strides to to stay fit, right? To maintain, right? And so um, it all came down to like, you know what? Uh, we're hungry. We're hungry for movement and why not Everest, right? These two years that have kept us in total isolation, I guess it has just made it to, for us to feel more hunger for it. And it, so that's why. You just that's like, why. I'm going. We're going now, for it. Now, yeah. why does Everest, I know you explained the base camp and the different things and how it's like months of commitment, which I want to get into with you, but why, why is Everest held at such a high regard what what about it makes it so dangerous is it the cold i mean i know it's a combination of yeah. things but why more so than k2 or any of these other peaks yeah so i guess in in terms of the highest of all right everest does constitutes as the pinnacle of the world right so that's let's make that very clear right that if you're thinking about standing at the top is of the world highest pinnacle right that would be the the place, right? That would Everest. be the place. Every okay. summit is the one. Um, in terms of technicalities, right, uh, 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 let's make it very clear that out just inside the Himalayas alone, there is the 14 peaks, which are Everest is one of them, of course, right? Um, those are the highest mountains in the world in the sense of being above 8,000 meters high. Some presenting different challenges uh, uh, at least in the technical side of it, mm. right? And so, um, so with that comes the danger aspect, right? Some because, or like when we think about K two, right? K two is a highly technical mountain. It's deadly in the sense that it's it's very precarious, right? If you're not in the right moment, in the right window of opportunity, things may not go your way, 
Well, let's talk about that. So we talk about, you know, safety and, and you watch these different shows. And I actually had some gentlemen who trained at our gym to get ready for Everest. And they were at base camp yeah. and avalanche occurred. Yeah. And it's really interesting. There were Google executives that trained at our gym. Yeah. And this gentleman hid behind a rock. I'll never forget talking to him about it. He hid behind a rock in the, in the, the you know, but it was a, it was a very, it was a, it was a deadly avalanche. And so I guess from a mindset perspective, you're putting yourself at this risky situation, but there's a lot of things that are in your control. Some things are out of control, like weather and whatnot. But what, how, how do you break through the mindset of like, you're going, knowing that there's imminent danger, but yet you're prepared for it as best you can. What is that mindset? What type of compartmentalization mindset tools have you been using and incorporating over the last, you know, you know, five, six, seven years now? to get ready for Everest? Yeah, this is a very interesting question, Jason, and I'll try to answer it to the best uh, extent <laughs> that I can, right? Um, it is true, right, that with these expeditions and being able to attend some of these mountains, right, uh, yeah, you got to take into consideration, right, do I feel physically prepared for, mm -hmm. right? But for me, the most crucial part of it is am I mentally prepared for it, right? And so um, it is true, right, that the danger is pretty imminent, right? There is the risk, and that is pretty imminent, right, when you do these expeditions. However, for me, right, I, I trust my process. I trust uh, my physical training. I trust my, uh, mental tra my mental ability to adapt to these elements, right? And I, I'm always the one, the climber, right, who, who, who would push it the hardest, but at the same time, would take calculated risk, right? And yeah, many people ask me this question a lot. It's like, do you feel any kind of fear? And the, the truth is, yes, right? Right, which is natural, it's and natural. you probably should. Yeah, <laughs> fear is a natural thing, right? But uh, what I try to do at least one ab while I'm at the mountains and I'm facing these elements is I try not to, to let it paralyze me, right? I try to overcome it, right? And it's, uh, it, it, that's the courage that you, you drive from within yourself. So from a training protocol physically, we'll start there. And I, I yeah. do want to dive more into mental, but from a physical training protocol, is there anything in particular you're doing aside from our workouts to prepare you? Any, I, I, I mean, I'm sled drags, backpack, yeah. rucking. What, do you, what are you doing? Yeah, so good question because uh, for this particular expedition, I decided to kind of switch gears a little different than how I chose to prepare when I did Denali at yeah. first. And so, um, uh, and one thing that I said, right, I was uh, I will tell this to people is like, yeah, I do not um, hold back from doing any of the crossover workouts that we do at the gym, NC NC Metcons, NCX, whatever that is, right. Um, but for this particular expedition, what I chose to do is kind of outside of that also prioritize more than endurance training. So um, for me, I kind of just made it a natural thing, right, that I needed to hit those trails, uh, long duration runs uh, at some of the steepest um, technical trails that you would find in the area. So you found that based on your experience, the long, slow distance training with with vertical climb was yeah. the way to go without yeah. a rock on uh, with the rock some without a rock yeah i kind of mix it up here and there just time on your feet that is correct yeah time on my feet right can i go for eight hours can i go for 10 hours while covering distance while dealing with the inclination and so forth wow and then you know from a mindset perspective i imagine there's something so beautiful about it, you know part of me I, I would love to experience this uh being on the road, uh, you know, in these, in an area where, you know, you have Sherpas and it, it's a very, it seems like a very spiritual place in the Himalayas. It is. It is. And you're going to be out there for months. And I imagine that there'll be uh, just a, this really beautiful, I mean, have you talked to people who have experienced it before? And it just sounds like a very spiritual place. That's all. Yeah. I mean. And, and it is. And it is. Right. And that's what I wanted to dive in a little more. Right. Because. This is an area that I ha I've never been to right. before, right? So for me, that just brings more excitement. And I've known a lot of people that climbed Everest, and I have managed to stay in touch with them so I can just get a, I can better get insights on what took them to 
to to do it successfully, right? And so I'm um, any but the any one key thing things from them that I mean, not to cut you off, but any key yeah. things from them that kind of threw you off that you weren't expecting? Yeah, the, you know, the, some people have reached out to me and say, you know what, uh, don't um, don't overthink it, right? Trust yourself. I think you're 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 physically prepared for this and mental mentally prepared. Just kind of be more mindful of what to find to do at Everest Base Camp so that you oh, can kill you time. Because you get bored. Yeah, right? you might yeah. get bored. Yeah. So for me, guess what? I, I always find ways to entertain myself, and I, I'm probably going to do some training there. So don't mind me if you see me uh, holding a rock and doing goblet squats. Right, 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 right. And so, um, but going back to the spiritual side, right? And, and I want to just kind of make a reference to the Sherpa community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, because they're well, going to be yeah. with you along they're, this journey. Yeah, we heavily rely on their support, right? These are, uh, I like to call them as superhumans, right? Because they're just meant and built to, 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 to live in these areas and be able to adapt even faster than, than probably you and I, right? And so um, they're deeply connected to the mountains, right? They have, they hold a high regard, uh, respect to the mountains, right? And, 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 and so... They, they respected us, the, 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 the mother of earth, right? And so just to describe one yeah. particular ceremony that we'll be doing at Everest Base Camp prior to start doing this rotation is called the Puja Ceremony. Puja. Right? So Puja Ceremony. So this is where all the expeditioners and the Sherpas And we're talking together. at that point, yeah. this is peak time. Is that correct? That is correct. So yeah. you'll have uh, hundreds yeah, we're looking at hundreds. Hundreds. If, yeah. A couple hundreds. Yeah, a couple hundreds. A couple hundred. It's a highly commercialized um, expedition. Yeah, specifically right. Everest. So a couple hundred people there. And then how many Sherpas do you think? Yeah, so oh, for my team, I am going with two Sherpas, right? So typically, depending on the company, the guiding company that you're looking to, to, to go with, right? They could give you a one, to one Sherpa to a climber or could be two Sherpas to a climber ratio. And you're doing two Sherpas? I'm doing two Sherpas. To yeah. one climber? That is correct. And how many people are in your group? Uh, so far, there is four of us. I know that there's this guy from Norway, this guy from Ireland, and I know there's another one from the U.S. Wow. As well. Very yeah. cool. Okay, so yeah. back to the – so you're at base camp, and they're yeah. doing this ceremony. Yeah, the puja ceremony. Yeah, so what is yeah. that? So, yeah, so think about just this uh, spiritual cer uh, ceremony, right, that the Sherpas put together and – they raise uh, prayer flags, right, uh, to send these um, prayers to the gods of the mountain in hopes to ask for permission for a safe passage. So the prayer flags, are you talking about the thin, the ones that go on? That the, is correct. Like the yeah, the Tibetan the Tibetan prayer, prayer flags. Yeah, they they. I imagine they're all over the place there. Yeah. Once we do the the puja ceremony, that's when they raise this uh, the prayer flags and everything. Yeah. And now from a from a connected to the mountain so these sherpas at, at certain elevations they don't even need oxygen when we would is that true or, or no uh yeah they will move way faster than you and i without oxygen yeah without oxygen yeah they are just meant for those uh type of terrains and and yeah. becoming a sherpa do they start when they're really young or how does that pro how does that even yeah. do you know much yeah it's I, I do i mean part of it is, is is deeply rooted in their culture right some of these villages already on altitude right so they um, were born and raised yeah there. they were yeah. born and raised with it so it's like for them it's just like they're just naturally superhumans you know wow yeah and, and so at what point can a sherpa they are there to, I imagine, guide you, make sure that you're as safe as possible, and then also, do they, they carry some of your load as well? Or it, Well, so just to um, give you a, a better perspective on that, right? So uh, for a lot of Western expeditions, right, we heavily rely on the Sherpas, right, because they're the ones, the first ones to come up, and they, they call them the ice doctors, right, because they're the first ones to come up and establish fixed lines, right, that you can then easily access uh, Jumar, Jumar and, and everything. And do those fixed lines have to be reinstated, like, on a regular basis, or they They have to be maintained, yes. They, they have, have to, be, to maintained. be maintained, right? They're typically um, settled in a picket anchor system. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, constantly they'll have to be maintained so that they're, st they're still grabbing them to solid ice. So then they're up there, and they're they're – they're monitoring the, the mountain. That is correct, right? So you move with them. They kind of they, they would assist you so that you can safely 
move through these fixed lines, do the, the, the ladder crossing as you, move, as you cross these different crevasses and so forth. And so when I think about a ladder crossing, I've seen it on TV, like literally I'm thinking it's a ladder yeah. across a, a massive a, shear drop. A, a massive shear <laughs> Like that's literally what I think it is. Like yeah. literally an aluminum janky ladder across yeah. this and you're literally like Baby crawling step across in, it. Making sure that you don't lose balance. So, <laughs> And it, it gets even more technical to be honest, right? So let's, let's think about, um, I'll, I'll picture the following, right? Yeah. Uh, between camp three and camp four, right? That's what they call the yellow tower. And this is, uh, is it's also known as the Lopsy face. And it's this massive wall, right, that you climb using um, fixed lines. So you think about sidestepping through that while wearing these boots, right, with uh, crampons biting into the ice. You're already reaching near 26,000 at that point, right? So when you say fixed lines, so you're... There's a line up above. Yeah. So if something hap you 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 a stamp which has been already established by right. the sheriff. You clip correct. into it so this way if yeah. you do fall, you're only gonna fall X amount of feet. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. and you're just climbing up these walls. Climbing up this wall. And you're and that's a training example about what you're gonna happen when you actually go to climb. Is that what what That occurs? is correct. Yeah. So at least uh, part of the training that we'll be doing at uh, Everest Base Camp prior to doing the rotations will be some of that, right? Kind of practicing ladder crossing. Uh, how to jamar effectively, and how to rappel down out of these shear drops. So have you done, with your previous experience, because this one, th what makes Everest, I think, even more scary is, yes, yes it's the height, but it's, it's, the, it's the cold, it's the ice. And it, exposure, and exposure, right? Because when you think about crossing the Kumbo Icefall, right, this is a massive uh, glacier that is constantly moving. And you climb in this massive sheer drops that it was just, it's just, it could be scary. Yeah. So, so how do you train for that other than being at base camp or it just, it, I mean, you're not in the gym, like, yeah. like mi mimicking, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. yeah it's a, you, you hit a good point, right? Because, um, from a high altitude perspective, right, it's very difficult to mimic something like that at the gym. Uh, for me in particular, like sometimes I, I recur to wearing this uh, oxygen restricted mask, right? But it, it's not something that really emulates mm -hmm. high altitude, right? And the reason why I use it for me uh, specifically is just to kind of build more diaphragmatic muscles meaning yeah, can my diaphragm span yes. bigger and so forth right um but uh outside that's and that's why i i i, I should have said right that i'm i'm kind of the athlete the coach right that toggles between the gym life and finding time to cut out to the mountains so that i can do what i call um hypoxic training and one example that i'll give you right for in terms of hypoxic training which is the best that you can do is really go to high altitude right. right and for me here at least in the bay area right i try to just make the commute up to uh the no, uh, uh no up north in shasta yeah and literally right if i were to live from san francisco i would say that i will be standing at 250 feet or so and making the commute to maybe seven thousand feet which is this the trailhead uh, uh, uh mount shasta uh, Manchester is a 14er, by the way, a 14er constituting a 14,000 yeah. peak in ele elevation. And my way of doing it, right, I never do it as an overnight trip, meaning I don't go up to this point and camp overnight. I just do it in one straight shot. Right. Go through the suffering in and out, descend it fast. So all this suffering and it's long suffering, right? Like when you're out there at Shasta, you're by yourself? By myself. Yeah. So you're by yourself for eight hours, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, you got to almost be developing some mindset almost like a david goggins like a like can't like i i imagine you have really calloused your mind to overcome struggles i yeah. mean is there stuff that in your early age i mean what makes you want to go do that you know yeah good question and i actually like that you make a good reference to david goggins because yeah, I, I I actually admire this guy. I yeah. have listened a lot of his stuff, right? I like his life story. Yeah, his book uh, is I feel like I relate I relate a lot to his life story as well in the terms of the backgrounds th the background that I was uh, that I that I come from. Cuz you were born in Honduras. I right? was born in Honduras, correct. I was born in Honduras in this uh, small border town uh, near El Salvador. 
And this is an area, right, that it was uh, underdeveloped at the time, right? And so um, I, I grew up away from, uh, from having privileges of being able to play with a nice toy, right? I actually had to fabricate my own toys, right? If I wanted to play with a gun toy, I had to make it out of a stick or something, right? That was my way of life. Yeah, so uh, those were my upbringings, right? Like yeah, constantly on my feet. Yeah. So did you grow up in a village with like a, is the village the right term? No. Yeah, it's yeah. It w at the time, it was considered a village. Now it kind of has developed a little more, right? So the population has increased. But did you yeah. have running water and sewer and all that stuff? At the time, we didn't. At the time, you didn't. At the time, we so didn't. for you, we didn't have main roads, no electricity whatsoever. So that, but that's yeah. how you were born and raised. That's how I was born and raised. And and I mean, so for you, and your mom came to the United States when you were young, right? That is correct. So um. Uh, my mom was a single mother at the time, and just when I was two years old, she felt the need to move into the States so that she could find be better opportunities for ourselves, right? Her uh, main dream was just to provide, right? Um, it took, you know, a good while for us to, uh, for us to be able to reconnect. And so yeah, well, 10 years, right? 10 years, literally. That's a little, yeah, that's, 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 a that's a little longer much. than a little while, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um. So I, then when you were back in Honduras... Who raised you? Your yeah. grandparents? So, yeah, I was raised uh, by my grandmother and uh, uncles, yeah, at this village, yeah. Uh, later on, as I grew up, uh, I think it was probably nine years old, I moved with uh, one of my aunties into the capital city of Honduras, and that's when we were kind of setting grounds uh, for me to move into the States. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of this stuff, I mean... It's it's overcoming obstacles. It's 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 mental strength. I mean, it's 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 interesting because if you look at your background, I mean, I imagine you didn't grow up. You surely didn't grow up as as a what's the term silver spoon. You know, like yeah. you didn't silver have spoon. <laughs> yeah, like absolutely not. Yeah, and so um and yeah and that's what I wanted to say, right? Is that uh, in life, you know, we all have a story, right? Yeah. I, I stayed true to this that in, in the belief that yeah, we all have a story and and everything, right? For me is. I have tried to use my struggles in life to fuel me to to find greatness, right? I I I I strongly believe that we all hold greatness in ourselves and it's just a matter of finding those ways to fuel and find them, right? And so um I for me this is uh, my str I have I derived a lot of uh, inspiration from the struggles I went through as a kid, right? Growing up growing up without my parents and so forth. And so um uh, that that's my my biggest fuel yeah life. yeah and so what's next so you're you have i mean obviously you're getting ready for everest of course and that is full focus all the time and i cannot yeah. wait to hear the stories and 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 just i could just i have this visualization of just you out there with the <laughs> with the with the tibetan people just like yeah. connecting. you know connecting I, I really do yeah. i don't know why i have this very clear vision of it yeah. and uh i mean no I'm, i hope it turns out exactly the way I'm thinking because I'm just I'm seeing this just as you're super happy and they're just stoked and it's just like I don't know I'm sure it's gonna be a lot more stressful than that but it seems awesome now you yeah. go up you you accomplish your goal and the goal is to go to go to the summit that's it that's the goal that's the goal right um, now what if yeah. the goal I gotta ask what if what if you don't I mean it would it is it what is the likelihood of you not achieving that particular goal of actually hitting like the highest highest peak but maybe getting to certain areas what is the likelihood of actually not accomplishing that and maybe accomplishing another version of success yeah well good question right because um depending where we get in everest right it's still going to be a benchmark, 100%. right? 100%. Let's say I get to Camp 4, and because of weather, there is no weather, opp weather opportunity for me to make a summit attempt, right? That in itself is going to be an established uh, benchmark, right? Saying that, you know what, I reached 8,000 meters. I'm happy with that. I can go back home safe, right, and prepare for maybe a near future uh, to repeat it in a near future. Yeah. Right? But what I wanted to um, I uh, love that dive example. in. Yeah, what I wanted to dive in, right, it's like, this this goes far beyond a personal goal of mine in the sense of, okay, I want to prove me that I can defy human limits, right, and 
test my fitness, test my will, and so forth, right? Um, this, this goes beyond that. And what I wanted to share with you is that um, this, this is a pretty lofty goal for me in the sense that I, I'm looking to establish myself to be the first Honduran summit here at Everest. Oh, and the you reason would be the first? The first Honduran. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you, right, is because um, for the the lack for the sake of for the lack of all this uh, time, right, is um, my country has shy away from having uh, someone represent and establish this my this benchmark for them. And so um, this is our, what we're what we're aiming for. That's awesome. And so when you look at the the um, uh, the background from most of the climbers. Would you say that it's primarily what country do you think primarily summits Everest? Um, this is a sport that is uh, do highly dominated, right, by um, the Anglo uh, community. So when you think about Europeans, uh, you know, especially people that grew up near the Alps, right, it's like they grew up with the mountains. Uh, you would think that a lot of these countries hold, you know, world records of you know, a multitude of uh, 8,000 meters that they've probably already climbed in right. the Himalayas. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty diverse, I guess, in the sense of at least the Anglo-American uh, community. But, yeah. I mean, so you would be the first Honduran, and uh, you have to excuse my, I yep. guess, ignorance here. In, in Honduras, is there a large, I mean, mountain, I mean, is there... What type of mountaineering is there available in that yeah. country? Good question, right? Because <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Good question, because yeah, I will tell you that we're, it's so funny that we're actually a very mountainous territory. However, I mean, when you think about high, uh, glaciated uh, mountains, right? We kind of don't have peaks that are all snowed in or anything like that. And so for that, it just takes for people to be able to travel international to get that experience, right? I'm fortunate that uh, here in California, right, this is how where my passion li literally began for mountaineering, right? Because we're close to the mountains and we're able to get that exposure. But, you know, you talk about going internationally and, and traveling. I mean, I'm just thinking about your trip. I mean, you're gone for months. How do people who mountaineer fund such a thing like this? I mean, how do typically people fund it? Do they have traditional jobs and they go ahead and say, hey, I'm taking a sabbatical for two, three months? I mean, how does that normally work? What does that process look like? Yeah, so for me, right, it's, it's been a, a, a very deep sacrifice, right? This, mm. this implies a lot of financial sacrifice, uh, sacrifice from being away from your family, yeah. right? Making uh, accommodations for that. And so um, for me, uh, I, it's, it took me a couple of years for me to kind of just fund it on my own, you know, gather those resources and with the support of a few people here and there, right, that we're being able to give personal gratuitous. Um, I feel like I'm so happy that this dream is finally coming to be. Oh, man. I'm really, I I'm, I'm super stoked. I cannot wait to see a picture of you with uh, your Hon Honduras flag. <laughs> we can't uh, wait for it, it as well. It, it, we're, uh, we're stuck. Yeah, yeah and, and so it's going to be you and four people, and then you have hundreds of people at the base camp. That is correct. I mean, that's going to be your crew. So you're going to be with those four or five people for, for months. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to um, get to get, know each other get, real get well. Get to know really well. Get pretty acquainted right from the start. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And so after you summit Everest, is there the next, like, are you even, I mean, I know you're probably not thinking the next one, but yeah. is this where you want to do for, for the rest of your life? You want to identify mountains and go do it, and then maybe one day even help people do that themselves? So I'd love to do a Yosemite um, <laughs> Half Dome one day. It's which a is good, treacherous <laughs> which is, hike, by the way. Which yeah. is, uh, when I'm talking yeah. about Half Dome, it's like a fraction of, obviously. Yeah. But, but I've, never, yeah. I've never done any type of mountaineering, and it's, it's very intriguing to me. But actually, yeah. that's a great question I'd love to ask you. It, for someone who is interested in mountaineering yep. or at least getting their foot getting wet. their foot wet just starting where do you start yeah so um i would just tell you right that from a pretty basic um standpoint i would just say you know st get uh, become a good hiker if you can just become a I, I, I happen to be such an avid hiker at the time so that kind of just translated pretty fast for me right and so um get comfortable to just do long hikes, right? Treacherous, steep hikes, whatever that is. Carrying a pack, right? Absorbing nature, right? That's that's kind of like the beginning of it, right? And I guess the next bit would be is 
get comfortable with the cold, right? Start going to the snow a little more often and get comfortable with the snow. And then if you had a recommendation for a first, like, climb, like, I mean, I guess if you live in California, where would you go? Yeah. So for me, it would be Mount Shasta, right? If, if you, okay. Capitalize, capitalize that we have a, a nice 14er in height here in the area, right? And I actually guided a few people uh, up on, in Shasta. And so um, I, I feel like I, I feel so happy that we've been able to instill that in other people and kind of teach them the trade, right? So, yeah, this is uh, 14 peak, uh, 14,000 peak, right? That uh, it would give you a, a true test um, of altitude. Yeah, I, I, I'm. All right, I might take you up on that. When yeah. you get back from Everest, maybe I'll take Let's you up on one. that. Let's plan one. Let's plan one. I, I, I really, yeah. really like that. And so, I know you're getting ready for Everest. We have a. Uh, I know there's going to be a, an event here at the gym, and I'm just, I'm super, super excited to hear how it all goes. Where can people? You know, if people want to keep up on, I know you're not going to have lack of internet, but if people want to keep up on, on your particular journey as you go from place to place, are you going to be trying to report that in some way, or what's that looking like? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, what I hope to do, right, I'll be carrying a satellite, a two-way satellite communicator, right? It's not an actual phone, but it's a device that at least it would, it would uh, allow me to send a message to the satellite, which the satellite would send it back to the recipient that I, I intended to send it to, right? So I'm, I'm hoping that I, uh, I will have this device at least for the, the days that I projected to be doing the summit attempt. I will um, leave established... Um, uh, light tracking uh, link on my social media profile so that people can just click on it and be able to maybe track our progress. Oh, so you could actually, we could real time see yeah. where you're at? Yes. Oh, that yeah. is awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll try to make my best effort too to um, send an update here. here I would there. love that. So yeah. if someone wanted to, to see where you're at and then track you, you start on what day? You start the journey. When are you going to have the tracker available? Yeah, I project that during the last two weeks of May, I'll be able to provide some sort of update on social media. I'll find a way to kind of find a social media manager right, yeah. who can uh, do the update on, on, on my social media. And then I will make sure that uh, I kind of disclose when my live tracking link is going to be active. Okay. And so yeah. Instagram, what is the best Instagram? I mean, we'll link it in the bio, but where yeah, should it uh, be? Yeah, Ronald Quintero uh, HN. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And oh, man. Ooh, I cannot wait yeah. to see that go across. Um, well, dude, look, I'm I'm super stoked for you. I hope you become the first Honduran to ever. Uh, Thank you, Jason. You yeah. know, get We're, on top of Everest. Yeah. And I, I'm just so excited that you could do exactly what we're about here at this gym, which is helping people get outside the gym and go do cool stuff. Like for me, it's keeping up with my yeah. kids. For you, it's climbing Mount Everest, <laughs> which is a <laughs> very big feat. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, we're all yeah. really proud of you here at NC Fit. And, uh, and thanks again, man, for taking yeah. your time. No, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled and um, I'll be happy to share the outcome of this. Uh, just I know that we're, we're psyched to do this. So we're, our goal is pretty clear. Go out there, right? Summit Everest. Come back and reshare the story with you guys. Well, I can't wait to yeah. do part two where we hear how it went. Beautiful. Thanks. Part two coming up. Thanks, yeah. brother.